So about three weeks ago, I um, gave the Journeys of the Tent part one. And um, it, I felt led to, to give uh, a, a background of Mishkan David from the days at Beit Tafiyah up until today. Um, there's a lot of folks that come that weren't familiar with our history. So I wanted to give a bit of the history of that. Um, but today is, is part two of that because you can't talk about the history of Mishkan David and things that we've done and the places we've gone without talking about our journey to Haiti. So uh, today, it's uh, the Journeys of the Tent, part two, our journey to Haiti, um, and how a, a small Messianic congregation in Rhode Island got laced with uh, the country of Haiti and this, this beautiful orphanage down there. I want to take everybody through this journey and I want everybody to, to come out of here at least realizing that the Lord has done miracles regarding this. And the journey, from my perspective, has been the closest thing that I've experienced to like what you see in the Bible with like miraculous journeys of people. It's been something else. Okay? So I want to take people through that. Um, a lot of people here today may know a lot of these stories, but I believe there are some here. Uh, that don't, and it's such a blessing we have somebody here uh, from Beit Tafia and um, some other visitors, so uh, this is wonderful. So we're going to take you through the journey to Haiti. All right, so we're going to start in 2006. Enter into Mishkan David a woman named Portia. Anybody know Portia? So Portia, I don't really know personally. I believe she is a pastor of a church in Rhode Island, I could be wrong, and I believe she was on TV at some point, and I believe she has a gift of, of prophecy, so the spiritual gift of prophecy. She used to come to the Mishkan, I would, from when I was started coming to Mishkan, maybe once a year, something like that, not very often at all. So before even I came to Mishkan, she came to Mishkan, and she gave a word to the Mishkan and Rabbi Peter. And uh, the word was that Mishkan David would be protected in a special place during the end times tribulation. She said that we would be given a key from the, quote, the fish's mouth to enter into a place of blessing. And she said we're getting the key of David because of our obedience to his laws. And this whole word that Forsha gave us was confusing to her because she doesn't believe anybody's going to be here during the tribulation. She's a, a pre-trib rapture person. So she believes that people are just being raptured up. That's what she believes during the tribulation. And she doesn't believe in keeping Torah. Yet here she is saying that during the tribulation, Mishkan David will be protected. And we're being handed the key of David because of our obedience to Torah. So she's like, I don't know why I'm giving this word. I don't believe in keeping the Torah. And I don't even believe anybody's going to be here during the tribulation, so it was very even confusing to her. But as, as what happens when prophetic words are given, you receive it, Baruch Hashem, and you kind of put it aside. Right? Um, so that was 2006. Enter Living Hope Church. This is where Mishkan David was meeting in 2007. Enter Pastor Travis and Barbara Fisher. Now, I could not find a, uh, a, a picture of his beloved, but here's Travis. Um, I, I'm just going to share about that day when this man and his wife first came to Mishkan back in 2007. So him and his beloved walk into Mishkan. They were visitors. They were never there before. They come in for the first time. All of a sudden, Rabbi Peter sees them, who is preaching, stops the service, and points at them. Now talk about a visitor's welcome. Okay. points at them and says, the Lord just told me that you two are royalty. Come to the front for me to wash your feet. Now these were visitors. So here they come, and they were timid. They didn't know what to expect. For the first time in a Messianic Jewish congregation, they didn't know if they'd be received. So here they come timidly to the front. Rabbi Peter washes their feet. Um, and they received prayer, and I believe elders, you know, prayed over them and things like that. During that experience, they thanked the congregation, and they reminded us that they are actually the owners and the overseers of an orphanage in Haiti. 
And their ministry in Haiti was called Haitian Christian Charities. And they were friends with Florence. And it just so happened that a year prior, Mishkan David actually gave an offering of like clothes and things like that to that ministry to go to Haiti. So I wasn't there during that time, but you know, apparently people you know, offered clothes and things like that, it was packed up. It took like six months or something like that for even to, to get to Haiti, because it, it's not like mailing a letter to your somebody in the United States to get a package to Haiti. So it took like forever and a day. I, mean, I think Rabbi Peter had to drive to Florida, and then it was shipped, and it was a mess. But it eventually got to his orphanage, and he reminded us of that. Rabbi Peter did not know that was him when he brought him to the front and said, you're royalty. So he said, so at, during that service, he thanked everybody. He said, what a wonderful blessing to be here. And I want to thank everybody for that offering that was given to the orphanage of clothes. And I really appreciate your kindness. And something triggered in Rabbi Peter, and he flipped out. And he went, kindness. Kindness. And I was there for that. Who was there for that service? A lot of people. Kindness. What in the world was kind about us taking used clothes out of our closet that we never wanted anyway, dump them in a box, and ship them off. That's not kindness. Kindness is giving not out of, out of our excess. Kindness is giving out of our need. So Rabbi Peter at that point took off a garment that he was wearing. It was like some kind of shirt slash tzitzit kind of combo thing. Took it off his body, gave it to them. Said, here, take this, it's yours. And if anybody else here wants to give them a donation, not out of your excess, but out of your need, please do so. Before I knew it, Pastor Travis and his wife were sitting kind of over there. This is in Potsakim. And there was a line of people, Mishkan people, giving them offerings off their bodies. I believe that Susie like pulled her earrings off. I remember uh, one person taking their sneakers off, just handing it to them. Just just an impromptu, off their body. Melvin, everybody remember Melvin? Took his shirt. Took his shirt off. He was bare chested the whole rest of the service. Thank God he's got a good physique. Gives him a gives him a shirt. At one point, Susie and I afterwards we gave uh, our wedding rings on a different day. But it was this amazing thing. And they're sitting there weeping. Now, mind you, they're struggling with their orphanage. They couldn't even get to Haiti. It was such, it was such turmoil. It was, they couldn't even get there. There was death threats against them. It was rough for them. But here we are, just blessing these strangers with stuff off our bodies. It was a divine, miraculous thing that I will never forget. I remember Pastor Travis saying, I can't believe that I had to go to a Jewish congregation to experience the love of Christ. It was a divine moment. But what it did, spoke about that, spoke about that, spoke about that, spoke about that. So, but what it did is it laced for a season Pastor Travis and Barbara with our congregation. And we supported them, and we supported their orphanage, and we just wanted to bless them, and and, and visit and, and whenever we could, and you know, give them an offering whenever we could, just, just to bless them in what they're doing. Uh, the first trip that we took uh, was to a place we couldn't get to Haiti. There was too much turmoil. So Lisa and just a few, a, short, a small amount of people went to a place in the Dominican Republic called the Bataille. Everybody remember that trip? It was the first trip. It was not to the orphanage, but the Bataille, you can look it up on uh, Wikipedia. The Bataille is, um, a, a, they, during the sugar harvest in the Dominican Republic, they'll just they'll bring in a whole bunch of Haitians to work the land like slaves. And, and the, the conditions are deplorable. Like the whole community lived in that little house. And the conditions were deplorable. They ate, ate like once every few days or something like that. And they just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked the sugar harvest. They still do that to this day. You can read about it online. So that's where they visited. Um, but it was not yet uh, a visit to the orphanage. 
Do you remember when I spoke about how we built altars on the coast of Rhode Island? So I spoke about that during uh, the Journeys of the Ten Part One. So between going worshiping at the Pawtucket Church, in between that time and the time at the Boroughville Church, during Passover and Shavuot, we met for seven weeks on the beaches of Rhode Island on the coastline and we built altars. Why did we do that? We did that um, for, well, primarily because Rabbi Peter felt led, but why did he feel led to do that? Uh, Rabbi Peter said uh, Rhode Island was the first colony to allow Jews to safely enter and worship. And that's true. It was the first colony to allow freedom of worship, Rhode Island. So he felt impressed to secure the Rhode Island coastline with altars to allow people to exit safely if trouble should come. Who else was there during that time that can testify to that? Right? So we built altars on the coast of Rhode Island. We took uncut stones that we could find wherever, and we built these you know, piles of, of stones as altars, and there were seven of them on the coastline, all the way from the north end down to western Liberia. Seven weeks to secure the coastline in case people needed to flee. So we moved after that to the Boroughville Church. I spoke about that. Now I have to share from my heart about this service. Yeah. So where have we been so far? So we have a prophecy from Portia. We had the entrance of uh, the fishers in that amazing moment where people just gave them stuff off their backs. January 9th, 2010. This is the only picture I have of that day. We're worshiping, going nuts, having a blast. And then there was a man named George. There once was a man named George. Um, may have been his, was not his first time at Michigan. I think he's been no, there a few times. Few times. He just lost his brother. Tell me where I'm mistaken. And he was crying. And he was weeping. He was sad. And here we are worshiping. He was also he was very ill. He was ill. Yep, very ill. And he was sitting there and he was weeping and he was just, you know, just very heavy of heart. And here we are worshiping. All of a sudden, the music turns off like somebody took the needle off the record. For those who know what records are. Because <laughs> Rabbi Peter took notice of George and his weeping while everybody else was celebrating. So we had, at that time, a, um, a vase that was always up there in the Bema area that's filled with water in case people wanted to wash their hands. And he said, when we're filled up with the Spirit and just blessed by Adonai, we are called to then take what was given to us by the Lord and pour it out into those that are empty. And if we don't do that, what Adonai is going to do, we poured out the water, he put the vase, the last vase on the floor. If we don't do that, if we don't take the blessing that he's filled us up with, and pour it into those who are empty. What he is going to do to us, Rabbi Peter took his shofar and went, bam! And this glass vase shattered all over the place. Remember it, Rabbi Peter? Yeah. Were you there? I remember that. That's the only picture I have of the remnant, which was just a small little picture of the remnant of that. So then he went ballistic. He took his shofar, whipped it against the wall, and he started to share about how we are the living epistles of God. And people like George can be completely torn up, and we don't care. But I won't. He took a Bible, he opened it up, and he started to rip pages out of it and throw it. And he started to say, does this upset you? Does this upset you? Does this upset you? 
Does this upset you? Why would that upset you when a living epistle, like George, is torn up and nobody cares? People left the congregation that day and never came back. After that, he was completely undone. He fell on the floor, nope, he lifted up the offering box, put it down, fell on the floor, and he thought his uh, job as a rabbi was done. Put on a little music. Women kind of came up and ministered to him. He said he hated that moment, by the way. <laughs> I was pouring water on him. Oh, Lord, 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 just leave me alone. In comes Portia, the once a year prophetess, who later said that she was at Walmart buying toilet paper and felt the Lord say, Go to Mishkan now. In she comes, Rabbi Peter's on the floor. And she goes to Rabbi Peter. Huh. She goes, Rabbi, I think I have a word for your congregation. May I speak a word? He didn't care. So she gets up. And she starts talking about fire and brimstone. You gotta believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, was, I mean, we're a messianic Jewish congregation. She's like, and Jesus Christ, you gotta accept the Lord Jesus to go to heaven. Who here wants to accept the Lord? There was another guy there named Barry, by the way. He raises his hand. Turns out he was a Jewish guy. Comes up, receives Yeshua for the first time. At that moment, Rabbi Peter and I brought him to the front. We baptized him with a bottle of water. Just so happened that we spoke to Barry afterwards. Uh, or Rabbi Peter spoke to Barry a couple days later and said, what's your story? And uh, Barry said that he's Jewish and his father used to beat the heck out of him. And he wanted to make him tough. And what he used to do to Barry is say, Barry, see those two punks over there? Go and beat them up right now. This is what Barry shared. And Barry would have to go to these people on the street and just beat them up while his father watched. His father wanted to toughen him up. But if Barry got beat up, the father would beat up Barry. And Barry was searching for God. And he went to church and didn't find God. He went to a regular Jewish synagogue didn't find God. So he comes into the service when the rabbi is tearing the place up, breaking everything. And he said, that's a God I relate to. A God that will tear up the place to get to me. And he accepted Messiah for the first time. <laughs> that taught me that you can't figure out without a nice note. Because in Messianic Judaism, we have a whole rule book on how to minister to Jews. Don't say Jesus, say Yeshua. Don't say Christ, say Messiah, Mashiach. Don't say church, say synagogue. It's a whole rule book. That went out the window for Barry. And it was fortunate with you who's got to accept Christ. Everybody started to praise. What, what was an insane service was wound up being this. We, it turned into praise and worship and rejoicing. At the end of that service, all of a sudden, Rabbi Peter says, And I feel like I have a word of the Lord from the Lord. For you. And he pointed at Travis and Barbara Fisher, the owners of the orphanage. And he said at that time, what happened to that vase is about to happen to the people in Haiti who are coming against you. What happened to that vase is about to happen to the people of Haiti who come against you. This service was on January 9th, 2010. Three days later, the Haiti earthquake. It was a prophecy that even Rabbi Peter at the time had no idea how grand that prophecy was. I share this just to, so we have a, a sense that the Lord is so much behind what is happening in Haiti. And 
We all get words from the Lord, and you know, some of them kind of come to pass, and we speak prophecy, thus, you know, whatever it is, and you know, sometimes we wonder if, if you know, if it's really the Lord isn't us, but you know, but we share and encourage everyone to keep sharing when you feel led. Um, but I've never experienced the preciseness of him speaking and things coming to pass after it was spoken, as through this whole journey in Haiti. So this was on January 9th. Earthquake, January 12th. Now, the earthquake was in Port-au-Prince, which is in the southern area of Haiti. Our orphanage is way up in the northern area of Haiti. They were unaffected by the earthquake, the orphanage, thank God. Uh, however, the UN was busing refugees out of Port-au-Prince and dumping them up north. So this orphanage of the Fishers, which was an orphanage of you know 30 or so children, became the orphanage of hundreds of children because of all the refugees that were there. So this was on January 12th. Two weeks later, we make our first trip. Not to the place of the earthquake, but to the orphanage up north, just to check on them, see how things are going. Uh, travel was restricted at this time. Uh, the UN restricted travel to Haiti at this time, but here we are, the small congregation of a four, Lisa, Jenny, no, that was the first one, maybe Melvin, was it Melvin too? And uh, no, it wasn't, it was Lisa, Jenny, Travis, Barber. That's it. With money strapped to their body, to their skin, because luggage was being stolen, because Haiti was in disarray. And it was mayhem. You know, and Americans would come and Americans would get robbed. It was mayhem because of the earthquake. So they were there with money strapped to their bodies, four folks. Uh, it was the first view of the extreme poverty in, um, in Haiti. It was the first introduction to the children, like I said, including the hundreds of refugees. Uh, we asked them, or Lisa asked them, what can we do to help you? And the folks at the orphanage actually said, if you can help the children have one meal per week, we can survive. And she thought she misheard it at first, but she did not. So we fed them and ran medical clinics, and we helped the neighbors as well. Uh, this is a picture of crossing the border into Haiti from the Dominican Republic. This was taken by Lisa. This was her first entrance into Haiti and her first view of the poverty. This is Lisa with some of the children. And here's Lisa running a medical plan. January 24th. About a month and a half later was the second trip. It was Rabbi Peter's first trip to Haiti. So we go to the orphanage. When Rabbi Peter was there, we realized that something great was happening in Haiti. Thousands are being set free through Rabbi Peter's preaching. He is going to churches of thousands. And demons are being cast out of people. Everybody is rejoicing. Everybody is going crazy. Just eating up every word that's coming out of his mouth. It was this amazing thing. And what the Lord was doing was linking us, not just with the orphanage, but with believers all across Haiti, in this divine connection that was happening. He was being dragged to churches all day long to preach. And they were just gobbling it up. Hundreds forgiving their voodoo preachers who cursed them. Uh, we also built a well for the orphanage to enable them to have fresh water and their neighbors. Uh, quotes from Rabbi Peter. Fortunately, a lot of this is chronicled. Rabbi Peter did a pretty good job of chronicling the whole trip to Haiti, every trip. So even if you go on the Mishkan Devi Facebook page, you can actually read his, his notes. Uh, some of the things he wrote, I think the word amazing has a new meaning. Uh, when I told them we are Hebrew and are here to, here to heal the, their land, they shouted praises to God. I don't have any pictures of that trip. The third trip to Haiti was a month after that. This was when I went for my first and only time. And I'm not going to take you through every trip. There's too many to take you through. But I can speak from my own, from first person, my experience there. The first thing that came to my mind is when you're greeted by the children, you will never forget it. For those who eventually tr travel to Haiti to visit, you will never forget 
walking into the orphanage and being greeted by enormous amounts of children just screaming for joy at your arrival and just hanging off of you. You will never forget that moment. Immediately, we were dragged to the church. 12,000 came to hear the rabbi, Rabbi Peter. And the love for the Jewish people of the Haitians became apparent. They would drag us. Rabbi Peter and I would be on the street, and we would have our, our kippahs on, our kippahs on, and people would just drag us to their homes. And if you're being dragged in Haiti somewhere, you don't, really don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> because like the kingdom of darkness is operating down there as well. But they would see, are, are you Hebrew? Are you a son of Abraham? Please come to my home and speak a blessing over my home. So we'd go to strangers' homes and speak blessings. We'd just drag to people's homes. We'd be at the church, and uh, people would give us like their last dollar. Because they said, I know it says in, 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 in the Bible that if I bless the son of Abraham, that I'll be blessed. And they would give us money. And, they, and, our, and then naturally, they're like, no, 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 you keep it. But there was a spiritual dynamic happening that we could not stop. People would give bags of coconuts and say, this is all I have in my, this is my only possession. But please have it. Because I want to bless you. It was an unbelievable connection that was happening. I remember this one moment where I had anointing oil, and there were tens to a hundred hands in front of me. Just, I was surrounded by hands. It looked like I had a million dollars and they were begging for money. Just picture just a, a boatload of just hands all around me. But they weren't asking for any money. They just wanted to be anointed. So I would just anoint hand after hand after hand after hand. We were reminded by pastors of Haiti's role in, in Israel becoming a nation in 1948. When Israel became a nation, the first UN vote was no. So then Haiti changed its vote, and that enabled Israel to become a nation. And pastors there know that. And they were telling us, we're awaiting a blessing because of that. And every time we went to a church, even at the end we went to a Haitian church in the Dominican Republic, everybody's going crazy. I remember this one moment where uh, Rabbi Peter, after the service, went to the pastor and said, I want you to listen to me. There are people here that are looking to usurp you and, and push you out and take your place. But the Lord is with you. And the pastor went, you're right. How did you know that? And Rabbi Peter said, okay. So I just said that. I did not know. So now do you receive me as somebody who's speaking from the Lord? Yes, I receive you. Okay. If trouble should come to America, will you receive my people? Yes, I will. That theme was pervasive across the whole trip. If trouble should come here, and we need to flee, and we need to go to a safe place while trouble is happening, will you receive us? And pastors throughout Haiti said yes. And that was happening wherever we went. This is just a couple of pictures. This is my favorite picture. This is 12,000 Haitians. Rabbi, I can't see it here, but Rabbi Peter's somewhere in the middle of that. Because somebody in Mishkan had a vision of like a geyser going up in Haiti. So he went to the orphanage. He filled a bucket full of well water, the well that we installed, brought it to the church, and just started being a geyser. That was the result of that. I took that picture. Here's a little close-up of him that I got in the mayhem. Here's the Jewish nose. <laughs> <laughs> miraculous what was happening. Uh, there was one service when he was uh, washing the feet of the older generation because he told the older generation that they're gonna, they've been praying for years for the rest restoration of Haiti and they, they will this generation, I don't remember exactly what he said, this generation won't pass, they will see the restoration of Haiti. So while, while Rabbi Peter's doing all this anointed, you know, setting the captives free, 
I was teaching the kids how to thumb wrestle. Oh! <laughs> we all have our giftings. <laughs> and we started to realize that Adonai was giving, a vision, giving us a vision for Haiti. Number one, care for the children. Always number one. Make sure they have enough food. Number two, teach them to keep their land according to Torah. We're not turning them into Jews. We're not turning them into like Orthodox Jews. But want them to learn how to work the land according to the ways of the Lord. Because it says, if you keep my ways, I'm going to cause food to come up from the land. And they need to eat. So we believe that the Lord will bless the land as they keep the land according to the ways of the Lord. And when the nation inquires where you're getting all this food from, we'll teach them about Yeshua and his ways. And number five, if Haiti, enable Haiti to be a Goshen should trouble come to America. Now, I'm very honest about these end times things. I don't have strong visions for it. But it is my role as rabbi here of this place to affect this, to enable this, should trouble come. And to always tell you, this is a mandate of Mishkan Levit. So I can go through countless trips, countless miracles. The, the mikvah, the baptism of a hundred children in Yeshua's name. Oh, miracles when Shabbat. There was this one time that Rabbi Peter went to a, a parched land. And the, the farmers there said, we, we cannot get food out of this land. So Rabbi Peter said, I have one suggestion for you. Don't make your workers work on Shabbat, on Sabbath, on Saturday. And the farmer said, we cannot do that. We have to have them work all the time. It's the only way to get food out of here at all if we're getting anything. And he said, I hear you, but please don't make them work on, this, on Saturday. Let them rest. And he's like, well, I can't even do that for them because they need the money. What are we going to do? Get send them home without money? And Rabbi said, no, no, no. Just keep, well, pay them. What you normally pay them, don't decrease their wage, but have them rest on Saturday. So the owner finally said, we'll try it for a year. So Rabbi Peter then visited nine months later. He couldn't recognize the place. There was so much vegetation and food. There was so much that they were actually giving it away to their neighbors. There was one time they were praying. They blew the shofar over a parched land. And they went, like a couple hours later, they literally saw like a cloud start pouring rain over that area. We have it on video. Somewhere. I've seen it. Miracles. Sons and daughters of God being set free from demon possession. Divine connections at every turn. Walking in authority like I've never seen. I've never seen. 2012, uh, the Fishers retired and they handed the care of the orphanage to Mishkan Remember the um, prophecy from Portia? You'll be given a key from the fish's mouth. Started to wonder if really she said, could have been from the fish's mouth. Wow. You can uh, visit our orphanage online at www.bethchesed.org. Chesed is the Hebrew word for kindness. Remember that moment when Rabbi Peter said, kindness? That's not kindness. This is kindness. So our orphanage is house of kindness. We're going into modern times. I, 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 I just want you to realize the hand of the Lord in this thing, because there can be a disconnect. It's like, okay, it's Haiti, that's what Mishkan Devi does, but we know there's an orphanage over there. I, I really want people to hear the divine, miraculous turn of events from the beginnings unto this day. So right now, Rabbi Peter uh, and Lisa and family, Noah only at this point, are living on an island of Ilavash. Here's a map. of That is a picture of Ilavash. Uh, Ilavash is here, this little island. The orphanage is here. Port-au-Prince is here, the capital. Okay? So what happened with Ilavash? Um, I can just share this one story. Because remember, Rabbi Peter was really good at chronicling this. He was in Haiti at one point. And some people took him to like this paradise area, like up here. And it was very different from all the crime and the... It, 
Haiti, where the orphanage is, looks like a, a garbage truck came and like dumped garbage on the ground. And that people were told that you got to go make your lives out of this. And that's like how they built their houses and things like that. That's what it looked like to me. Um, but all of a sudden, he's taken to this paradise area somewhere up here. And he's, it's like, it's, it was this amazing thing. It was, like, it was paradise. It was like, tropical. It was, it was completely different from the crime and the dirt and the, you know, that was we became used to in Haiti. So he's sitting there like on a hammock or something like that. And he's going, why aren't I here with Lisa? And he wrote this. And he said, I felt the Lord say, this is not the paradise. There is another paradise, and Lisa will be there with you. I have it written down. It was before he ever heard of Ilavash. Later on, he met somebody named Captain Raymond who introduced him to Ilavash. That's where he is. Again, another <coughs> prophecy fulfilled. So, when he went to Ilavash for the first time, remember the seven altars that we built back in 2009 across the beaches? He found something in Ilavash that he found interesting. Now remember, we built these to be like, to secure the coastline for it to be an exit out of Rhode Island. But if you're an exit, you gotta, you gotta have the people go somewhere. When he went to Ilavash, he found this. Altars all across the shoreline of Ilavash. Wow. Similar reference from Rhode Island now. 2009, 2015. And it made him, it showed him that this is where, if there's, we need to exit, this is where, this is the other puzzle piece, this is the other fitting puzzle piece, this is where the Lord will have us. So, that dreadful day, when he told the elders, I'm not leaving, I'm preparing the way. They announced their move to Haiti. They boated from Rhode Island to Haiti in winter. You can read their whole journey, because Rabbi Peter Block, the whole thing, just one life-threatening moment after the other. Where they avoided the boat, what's it called? A boat capsized. I mean, it was really harrowing. You can read about it. We have it online. So they're currently docked at Ilavash, living on their boat. Yeah. Happily ever after. Hallelujah. Some recent pics with the orphanage. This is from March 2015. Here's Rabbi Peter anointing uh, the orphans. You remember the day on Nisan 1, we had an anointing service here because that's the day the tabernacle was anointed in the Torah. The Mishkan was anointed. So we had an anointing service here where people were, everybody was anointed with oil. That was that same day. As we were doing that here, this is what was happening in the orphanage. Some current events that you may not be aware of. Uh, Rabbi Peter is being dragged all across Haiti to speak. He's speaking at churches. He's speaking at seminaries. Um, I believe the one on the left is at a seminary. The one on the right is a screenshot from a video that some of us got a chance to watch at Tabernacle Church. Here's him speaking at a little place, little or, little church on the island. Here's some news. So I remember. Susie and I were on a hike a couple of weeks ago, and humanity entered into our minds. And we we're like, what the heck's he doing in Illabash? The orphanage is way up north. Isn't he supposed to be with the orphans? <laughs> <laughs> that was before I declared a fast on negative thinking, by the way. So please, hopefully not guilty. But it was shortly after that, and we knew that Adonai works in his timing. And the story is never over. So Rabbi Peter was talking on Ilavash, where he lives, to the mayor of Ilavash. And um, I have his approval to share this. Um, he was sharing with the mayor a 
about the orphanage and how the orphanage often gets displaced because we're renting the place and they have to leave and find another place. So the mayor had compassion on Rabbi Peter, and the mayor gave us land for free on the lavash to move the orphanage to. So that is still in progress. Uh, it's not 100%, because in my mind, it's like when you're buying a house now. It's like once you're out of the lawyer's office, you know, and you got the keys, then it's all done. Before then, anything else can happen. Anyway, so things are very much towards the end of that progress, but it's not, it's not 100% yet. But I do have this blessing to share this. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't share it, because I don't want to share anything prematurely. So land was given on Ilavash by the mayor to Rabbi Peter and Lisa for the orphanage. He was up in Port-au-Prince at a school teaching two, three weeks ago. And um, pastor brought him up on a mountain and said, point to any plot on the map, and it's yours. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> so for one dollar, Rabbi Peter and Lisa were given a plot of land to build a house on. Up on a mountain, you can't see it here. This is It's up on a mountain that's in the distance of Port-au-Prince. It's overlooking the capital. So now Rabbi Peter is the owner of land on Ilavash for free and a mountaintop overlooking Port-au-Prince for a dollar. The pastor that gave him this land said, you've left everything to come to Haiti, so I have to, I have to give you this land, but I can't give it to you. I must sell it to you for a dollar, because then it'll officially be yours if you buy it. So I can't tell you what's going to happen with either of these lands. The story is in progress. Any questions? Any thoughts? Oh, I have a question. Sure. Well, all throughout the time that we've overseen the orphanage, they'd be in a place but then the landlord would like, because they realized Americans kind of ran the place, they would weigh up the price. And we just couldn't afford it. So we'd have to, but Adonai has been faithful. He brought us from place to place. They've been in their current place for a couple of years now. And it's a, it's a wonderful blessing where they are. Anything else? Any other questions? Comments? So one, one trip I know a bunk bed to go. Yep, yep, yep. 40 years. Yep, absolutely. What kind of like place does Rabbi and his wife live in? Or what kind of, do they have any beds? Or what are they yep. Yep. So uh, Rabbi Peter, um, an offering came in. And Rabbi Peter, this was back in whatever, 2013 or something, bought on the cheap a very dilapidated, unusable boat, a yacht. And he spent like a year spending all of his free time night and day, fixing it. He has that ability. And that's where they're living. They voted to Haiti, and they're living on their boat. Yep, they're living on their boat. So tomorrow is Shavuot. It, conclu it concludes our fast. For those who want to be all negative in their thoughts again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Woo! <laughs> if anybody has anything they want to share about successes, anything like that, I'd love to hear it. I know for myself, it's been quite a journey. But recognizing, I know without a doubt that thoughts can be held captive. They can be recognized, ungodly thoughts. And they can be held captive, and they don't have to be entertained. <laughs> What do you do when you stop from day one again every day? <laughs> May I just add a footnote to that service on that on that day? Yes, absolutely. I've, I've never experienced anything like that. I think everyone that has experienced anything like it. But about George, who was who was a close friend of mine, um, the rabbi had said at some point, and I think before he spoke about Haiti that day, came to him. He he just stood there and said. And someone in here is going to die. And he, and he said that. And I, of course, knowing George was sick, I was like, I kind of like tightened up, didn't look at George. 
22nd. So he died two weeks after that service. And he was really ill, and uh, he was in the hospital, and he was agitated for a while. But the day before he was released, I walked into his room, and he, I, I, I was waiting for a, a little bit of turmoil and trying to calm him down or whatever. It didn't happen. I looked at him, and his face was, I, his face was just a glow. And he looked at me with a smile when I walked in, and he just said, you know, it's all about him. He says, right. it's all about him. And he left, and those words still to this day comfort me, because I remember my friendship with George. Um, he went home the next day. All he wanted to do was go home. He missed his cat, Sadie, and he wanted to just be with her. And he sat, he went home. I took him home. A friend stayed with him, and he went in his recliner, and he died that night with Sadie in his lap. But he was at peace, and it was a blessing, and he loved rabbi and he loved Mishkan and he didn't know why he didn't understand any of this before because he had been involved in church and forgot. So it was a blessing that I can't, that day was so incredible with so many blessings that came out of that and prophetic words that came out of it. So God bless George in, uh, yep. and uh, his spirit. So tomorrow is Shavuot, and the spring festivals of this year, 2015, will conclude. The next festival is Rosh Hashanah, after the summer, on September 14th, the day of trumpets, Yom Teruah. And we're going to hit the seven-year anniversary of the 2008 economic collapse, and the 14-year anniversary of the 7th, September 11th collapse. We're going to hit that next seven-year cycle. I share this because I have to share it. I'm not an end times guy. I'm just not. But I'd be, I would be irresponsible if I didn't speak about the signs that are occurring. If I just said, don't worry about it, I would be irresponsible. And I've shared already, and I won't share again, my experience when I was in New York on September 11th, and it, the Lord put my eyes on the, the seven-year anniversary of what happened on that day. Yom Kippur, September 23rd, the Day of Atonement, and then Sukkot on September 28th, and the fourth and final of these blood moons that we've been following. I share this so everybody can be informed. I don't know if things are going to change here in America. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to mark some major event that's going to cause some folks to want to get the heck out of here. But part of our role as Mishkan Devim, and part of the reason we have a banner out there, is to enable, to allow people to leave and go to a safe place should trouble come. It's part of our mission here. It's part of the mandate given to me by Rabbi Peter. And he always said, I'm not leaving, I'm just preparing the way. But when you're in transit and you're just getting situated, it's not really time to have a lot of people come. But Rabbi Peter has told me to offer to everyone to spend the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and through Sukkot, with them and with the orphanage. So we have always had a Sukkot celebration in Mishkan Aviv. For most of our years, we went to either a property or a campground or something and actually camped out for the whole time. Uh, last year was the first time that it seems that Adam and I removed it from us. Because we tried. Damn it, we tried. We had a team of people calling every single place, every door shut. The only thing left open to us last year was to just celebrate for a day in the parking lot here. We're still working on some stuff for this year. There's a campground, I agree to share it. Richard and Delia, they live in a campground. And we visited the campground. So far, everything is meeting the light and easy criteria for a week-long Sukkot here in Rhode Island. 
We don't know. But this is our priority. The orphanage, the Oliveras, is the priority of Mishkan David. Financially and prayerfully, this is our priority. And Rabbi Peter has offered for everyone, anyone who is willing, anyone who is willing, to come and celebrate the High Holiday with them this year. Anybody have any questions about that? I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know if he's going to come here by boat and offer to take people by boat. I don't know if people are going to have to buy plane tickets. I don't know how anybody's going to afford any. But the Lord will enable this for those who are led to go. So the offer is officially out to you and to anyone who wants to go to Haiti. And at minimum, if nothing happens, if the blood moons come and go and nothing happens, and Obama goes out of office and somebody else comes in and life just goes on, you will have, at the least, the most unforgettable time <laughs> in Haiti with the orphans and with the old men. Anybody have any questions about this? I had a question. But well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, um, Emily, first. Oh, um, no. I, it might sound selfish, but I mean, there's always a question. I mean, do you have to like worry about a lot of diseases there that you might? I mean, that's a dumb. I understand. I can only share what I shared a couple of weeks ago. Okay? Before I went to Haiti, my blessed mother went, Brian, don't go to Haiti. Jewish mother, worry. You're going to get cholera. You're going to get AIDS. You're going to get kidnapped. They're going to speak voodoo spells over you. They're going to make dolls that look like you would stick it with pins. They don't want you there. They want to be left alone. Don't go. Whatever you do, don't go. It's the stupidest thing anybody can ever do is go to Haiti. It's the last place anybody wants to go. There's disease. There's crime. There's violence. Whatever you do, don't go. You'd have to be a complete idiot to even want to step near that country. Just whatever you do, don't go. Brian, please, I beg you. I'm your mother. Play. I beg you. I beg you. I'm your mother. I love you. I love you. I love you. Please move back to New Jersey. And don't go to Haiti, whatever you do, you're going to get ill illness. So I went to Haiti. <laughs> and then I came back. She's a Jewish mother. She's bragging now. My son went there. She's shouting, my son went to Haiti. She's showing everybody pictures. My son, my son went to Haiti. My only son. My only son. <laughs> All I can tell you is that all I can tell you is that you walk on water when you're in Haiti. When all the niceties of America leave, and you're in this place of hyper-focus on not just the Lord, but you're, you're, you're operating in his, in, in his will. You're always operating in his will, but something changes there. Where you will go to somebody that has AIDS, that is oozing out of their face from... from Swords. And you will go and you won't even think about it, and you hug them and you touch them and you love them. That's all I can tell you. I experienced it. So, yeah, is there disease there? Yeah. Does the um, uh, F, whatever, DA, whatever, recommend that you get vaccinated? Yeah. Should you get vaccinated? Sure. Go for it. CDC. Do whatever you got to do. I think I had a, I think I got a malaria shot. I don't remember. I think I took a pill. I think I took a malaria pill. So yeah, do it, do what you need to do. But something happens when you're down there that transcends the reality. Any other questions? Go ahead. Yep. Yep. I bet this will be my third time if I do go. Yep. It all leads down to faith. Yeah. Because if you are meant to go, <coughs> he has his hand over you. Yeah. So like you said, you can kiss anybody, hug anybody who has that stuff, and it won't touch you. There are many that scary. I won't say it's not, but it's beautiful. Yep. But the chances that, that you take, yep, it's something you'll never forget. And you're taking a chance on... Nicole wants to fall with her baby. Um, 
hearing of the Lord also, in my experience, increases. So if the Lord says, don't touch, he'll tell you. We've had that experience, too. Even areas. There was a time where Rabbi Peter wanted to go and go to a place. There was a big voodoo hangout. And the Lord told him, don't go there. I, don't, I didn't give you authority over that place right now. Don't go. And don't let Andre go, because he wants to go check it out. <laughs> but I, I stress that no matter what your soul or what your heart or what your mind says, how bad you want to go, you better damn well pray for it. Yeah. It has to be from the Lord for you to go. Right. If you go because it's a wonderful thing, that's a different thing. You really have to pray about it. I would have loved to go, but I have other plans here in the good old town of Norton, Massachusetts. <laughs> and let my presence be with those patient children during Fuko and pray to God that they'll be safe and sound. Hallelujah! Amen. 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 Passports take a very long time, and especially now, these, it used to take a long time. It's taken longer now. Okay. So it takes a while, so you better get on it. You need visa? You'll need a passport. Just a passport. You will need a passport. That's a guarantee. Unless, of course, Unless, of course he, he comes here by boat, he wants to come and, get us all. Oh. and then he just docks in Ilavash where there's no border patrol. Who <laughs> knows? But you still have to get you back here by boat. That's true. Right. That's scary. By then, it could be all kinds of things happen in the United States, and they will stop us. <coughs> I understand the trepidation. I will never forget that first journey right after the earthquake. I mean, people are not going to Haiti at this time. It's, it's an absolute crime scene. It's mayhem. It's right after a disaster. It's, it's, it's mayhem. You don't know what can happen from one moment to the next. Lisa, Jenny, who is a little older, Pastor Travis and Barbara, who were older, and Pastor Travis had a lot of trouble walking. I mean, that was the team. It wasn't like the big, muscular, able-bodied folks. It was very—it was a physically frail team. Right after the earthquake, even if you're fit, no. money strapped to their body, and that was the team that Adam and I led to go down. Unrelated to their natural ability to to, to walk, to. So the invitation is officially given Thank you. for you all to consider. And I hope that all, or if not all, many, or at least some, as many as the Lord will lead, take this opportunity, independent of what's going on here around. I talked to Peter for five minutes yesterday on the phone. Good. Todd's up there. Did you know that? Todd is there? Yeah. Todd is there now. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Church is there. He's there. But um, I talked to him quickly, and he is really, really set that people are coming to visit for Christmas. So he really is depending on it. He's really, his heart is there for it. Yep. Even if it's one or two or three or four. You said the Bible was me. Right, but he knows. <laughs> but he knows that right now with himself, so he'll take the <coughs> Anything else? Anything shared here in Stella? I know you're close contact. Stella doesn't. He doesn't want us to come back. He wants us to. He said, "Don't be on the phone back." But he knows that we can't right now. The invitation is for the holiday. Right. Yeah. That's it. And I looked up at lights on. <laughs> $433 round trip. Not bad. And the wait, the price goes up. So hopefully, Peter will be picking us up with his boat. Yes. You just bring both back. How realistic is this for children? It's realistic. It is. It is to go to the orphanage, yes. I asked Rabbi Peter, are there any restrictions? At he says, no. All who are led to go can go. Young enough. And because it's at the orphanage, no problem. Yes. I saw that want to go, but it's hard for the family that. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, if anybody 
to raise money. Yep. Because in this time, yes, they have a little tiny bit of money, but it, a lot of it goes to feed these All people. of it. So we can't be paying for people's tickets. So we have to somehow have fundraisers somehow to get these people in. You can work it out. You can work it out.